Right, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And just want to read one verse. Just here to begin with. Second Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. Now thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ, and through us diffuses the fragrance of His knowledge in every place. And thanks be unto God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ. The human spirit... Even the unregenerated, unredeemed human spirit has got remarkable ability to withstand great moments of crisis. We all have witnessed and heard, I'm sure, of people who have shown tremendous courage in the face of adversity. Some who have overcome incredible odds to win through. Others who have endured, who have persevered and who have shown true human grit. Now, if the human spirit can do that, and it can, without the power of the Holy Spirit within it, what then about the redeemed human spirit? How much more the redeemed human spirit? If natural man can excel, what about the spiritual man? If the old man has got strengths, what about the new man? What about the new man created in Christ Jesus? 2 Corinthians 5.17 Now as a believer, you were recreated in Christ to live in victory, not in defeat. Now sometimes we feel we are defeated and have been defeated, but we're not to live in it. Not made to live in it. We're designed to win, not to lose, to be the head, not to tail, to be above and not beneath, to be an overcomer and not to be overcome. God has designed us for that in Christ. Paul said, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Whether in good times he was making out, whether in bad times, up times, down times, end times, out times, matters not, he says, I can do it all through Christ who gives me the strength to go through. Romans 8, 37, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Jesus said, Luke 10, 19, Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by in any means hurt you. Isaiah 54, 17, No weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. This is the heritage of the saints of the Lord. Isn't that a great verse? No weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. When Second Chronicles 32, King Hezekiah was in a difficult place. He was surrounded by the armies of the Assyrians. Sennacherib had surrounded him. He was absolutely outnumbered by a long way. 
however God had been speaking. And he had got strength and hope and faith. And so here's what he said to his people. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or dismayed before the king of Assyria, nor before all the multitude that is with him. For there are more with us than with him. With him is the arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. So even though his circumstances in the natural was grim and dire, greatly outnumbered, but yet he took great heart and trusted and believed that God was on his side. And if God is for us, who can be against us? Now let me point out some things tonight, just a few things that will guarantee our victory in Christ in the midst of the battle. First of all, your faith. John writes in 1 John 5, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. You are born again tonight, are you not? You are born of God. Then you can and you will overcome the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he believes that Jesus is the Son of God. John brings faith down right to the very simple level of believing that Jesus is the Son of God, not with an intellectual belief or a historical belief, but a spiritual belief that Jesus truly is the Son of God. If you can believe that tonight, as simple as that, then you can overcome the world because it means that you're going to put your trust and your faith in the Son of God. Ephesians 2 eight says that we have been saved through faith. Romans 5.1, we have been justified by faith. Made righteous by faith, Paul said, Philippians 3. We please God by our faith, Hebrews 11.6. We're healed by faith, Matthew 9.29. We receive wisdom by faith in James 1. James says, if we need wisdom, let us ask of God. But let's not doubt it. Let's not waver about it. Let's ask in faith and God will give us the wisdom that we need. Because Paul also said in Romans 12 that God has given to each of us the measure of faith. That's why he said that we walk by faith and not by sight. Whenever you glance even just at Hebrews chapter 11, the great roll call of faith, you see, so many times, verse 4, by faith, Abel, 7, by faith, Noah, by faith, Abraham, by faith, Isaac, by faith, Jacob, by faith, Joseph, by faith, Moses, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, on and on it goes. The roll call of faith. And sometimes you have to read that and think about it and encourage yourself. Listen to what it says. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women even received their dead, raised to life again. What an encouraging chapter to read if you feel that your faith is weakening and you feel somehow your faith is diminished. 
Read about those real people. And don't just read it in Hebrews 11. Go to where it tells the story and read the story and put yourself in their shoes because they were just flesh and blood like the rest of us. They were just ordinary people like the rest of us. But they put their trust in the living God and their faith went to work. So God has given us faith. He's given us His Word, has He not? Joshua 1 verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. The only time the word success is in Scripture. The only time. And it's related to the Word of God. Notice it says the book of the law shall not depart from under your arm. Shall not depart from the top of your table. Shall not depart from the side of your bed. Shall not depart from your mouth. What is ever is in your heart will come out your mouth, won't it? <laughs> if it's in your heart, it will come out your mouth. And this is just not parroting scriptures. It's in your heart. It comes out your mouth. In Romans 10, it tells us there, even regarding our salvation, that if we believe in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, if we confess it with our mouth, we shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, but with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. There's something important about once you receive Christ is to immediately confess it. You know, anybody I've ever led to the Lord, the first thing I've told them after is now go and tell somebody. Nail your colors to the mast. Be honest about it. It doesn't matter who it is. Find somebody and tell them I've become a believer in Christ. Confess it with your mouth. There's something very, very important about doing that. And Jesus said, Matthew 4, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. God speaks it, it goes into our heart, and then we speak it. And something happens in that process. Hebrews 1 and 3, The Lord upholds all things by the word of His power. I know I'm not being pedantic about this. You could say by the power of His Word, but it says by the Word of His power, indicating that His power is released through His Word. And we know that's a scriptural principle because we see it in Genesis 1. Eight times it says in Genesis 1, And God said, Let there be. And as God said, Let there be, then there was. Eight different times God spoke and it happened. And so there's something inherent about speaking the Word of God. In Matthew chapter 8, Roman centurion comes to Jesus regarding his servant. He needed healed. Jesus says, I will come and heal him. The Roman centurion said, No, he says, I'm not even worthy that you should come under my roof. But he says, Just speak a word only. Just a word. He says, I'm a man under authority. I know what it is to speak a word. And my servant will do this and my servant will do that. If I just speak a word, my servant will do it. And Jesus turned around to the watching crowd and he was amazed. He says, I have not found 
so great faith, no, not in all Israel. That man understood that all Jesus had to do was speak one word and the answer would come. And Jesus says, go your way. As you have believed, so be it done unto you. And his servant was healed from that very moment. That's a wonderful story. And somehow that pagan Roman centurion knew more than all of the religious people that were standing around Jesus. He understood the authority of speaking just the word, the word of command. And so God has given us faith. He's given us His Word. He's given us mighty weapons. 2 Corinthians 10. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God. For pulling down strongholds. Hallelujah. What's a stronghold? Somebody says a stronghold is a house built by thoughts. A house built by thoughts. We build things by our thinking, do we not? We build fear by our thoughts. We build worry by our thoughts. We build anxiety by our thoughts and our fears and our worries and all the rest of it. We build and build and build and build until it becomes a stronghold, like a mighty castle. Casting down arguments. And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. If ever there was a day whenever you need to know that you have to cast down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Have you noticed how much of an attack Christianity is under by knowledge, by science, by the atheist mind that tries to undermine and tries to make some case for not believing in the Scriptures. And so we've got to cast that down. That's why it says, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Did you notice it doesn't even mention the devil there? Did you notice that? Talk about our thoughts. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. That thought that doesn't add up with the Word of God. That thought that doesn't line up with what Christ said, bring it into captivity. Don't let it go loose in your mind and in your heart. Capture it. In Ephesians 6, that great chapter regarding the armor of God. Verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. What is happening today, for instance, as an example, what is happening in Britain today is the spirit of the age. This is what's happening. There is dark forces that is pushing agendas through government today. Why should less than 1% of the population 
Why should their view, why should their lifestyle be enforced upon everybody else to the extent where churches is going to have to come in line with that? Why should, that, why should less than 1% of that be allowed? That's the spirit of this age that we're living under. I mean, it's not even democratic, is it? It isn't. But it's the spirit of the age. And so we're wrestling against dark forces. That's why the Bible says, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication, in the Spirit. Now let me just very briefly just mention just a couple of those uh, things that was mentioned there regarding our armor. Put on the helmet of salvation. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 8 it says put on as a helmet the hope of salvation. Our hope in Christ is not something we're wishing for. It's a confidence. It's something that's real, that's genuine. Now, Paul here is given illustrations from that which he saw around him, which was Roman soldiers. Everywhere he went, he saw them. Oftentimes he was in prison, guarded by them. And he was a great observer of things. And the helmet that the Roman soldier wore, he, he never would have dreamt of ever going into battle without his helmet. And the helmet was made of, of bronze. Generally speaking, it was bronze with a, maybe a soft leather inset to make it a little bit more comfortable. And it, it came right over the head and around by the side of the jaws, and a little kind of a flap at the back. Do you ever see the guys of security car, you see them in a post office, or maybe get into a bank, and have a little flap at the back, in case somebody whacks them in the back of the neck, and gives them a chop or whatever. Well, the Roman soldier had that as well. And also, to make it look more ornate, it would normally be uh, some kind of a design on it. Maybe it would be animals, maybe it would be nature design, it would be something that would be etched on the, on the bronze. It would also be a, a plume, maybe of feathers, or maybe of horse hair that would be dyed, that would go from the top right to the back. And so it was a beautiful thing, but it was a very practical thing, because those they'd be fighting against would have an axe or a sword, and so if they hit them in the head and they hadn't got their helmet on, well, it was lights out, it was game over, wasn't it? So they had to have the helmet on. And Paul realized the importance of wearing the helmet so the, the head was secure. And when he talks about the helmet of salvation, he, he's realizing that our mind is a place where the enemy wants to attack. And we need to protect our minds. We need to mind our mind. Because that's the area that the enemy will come against again and again and again. Now the mind is a wonderful thing. It's a tremendous thing. And it can do tremendous good, but it can also do tremendous bad, can't it? So it needs to be sanctified. It needs to be protected. And it needs to be guarded. 
And so this is why the, the mind needs protecting. J. Oswald Sanders said, The mind of man is the battleground on which every moral and spiritual battle is fought. Old Vance Harvner said, Our defeat, our victory begins with what we think. And if we guard our thoughts, we shall not have much trouble anywhere else along the line. John Stott, the late John Stott, said that self-control is primarily mind control. Leslie Flynn, a great preacher, said, Every kidnapping was once a thought. Every extramarital affair was just first a fantasy. And isn't that true? It all begins with a thought that's seated in the mind. And we've got to guard it. We've got to keep the helmet of salvation on at all times. I don't know about you, but there's all kinds of thoughts bombard my mind every single day of my life. Not all of them are bad, of course, but some of them are, aren't they? But if we have the helmet of salvation on, what a blessing that can be just to be guarded by that. And he says, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, the Roman soldier had various swords at his disposal. But the sword that he loved the most and the sword that was most feared was the short sword about 18, 19 inches long, but two and a half inches broad. And it was razor sharp on both edges and it was pointed. And it was properly weighted. It wasn't an unwieldy sword. They had a sword that took two hands, but you couldn't fight very long with that. But that short sword, that was the most technologically advanced weapon that a soldier could carry in his hand in his day. That was it, that Roman sword. For with that sword, he could fight at close quarters. It was very maneuverable, and he could slash, and he could stab, and he could jab, and he could cut. And it was a wonderful thing in his hand, and he was highly trained to use it. But it was a killing machine. It was meant to kill. It wasn't meant to wound. It was meant to kill. And he knew how to use it. And when the Apostle Paul looked at that, he saw an image of the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit, he said. Now you know that the Holy Spirit is the author of the Word of God. It's the Holy Spirit who illuminates the Word of God. It's the Holy Spirit who, who makes the Word of God come alive in our hearts. And so when he saw that sword, he says, that's the sword of the Spirit. That's what we need to fight with. That's what we can use in the battles of life. That's what Jesus used in the wilderness temptations, wasn't it? When he was up close and personal to the devil, I mean, that was close in fighting, wasn't it? I mean, that was just nose-to-nose -nose stuff. But what did Jesus do? He took out the sword of the Spirit. Three times he said, it is written. And he knew how to use that sword. He knew how to wield it. He was an expert in it, wasn't he? And so he tells us to put on the helmet of salvation. He tells us to take that sword of the Spirit. Then he tells us to take the shield of faith. Wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Now the shield that the Roman soldier used was about four feet high and about two feet broad. 
And it was quite a substantial thing. It was made of wood overlaid with strips, several layers of strips of leather. It was almost impenetrable. And every single day that soldier had to oil that leather to keep it from drying out and cracking and to keep it supple. And whenever he would go into battle where he could, he would make sure it was soaked and washed with water so that when the fiery darts came, when the enemy shot those combustible arrows at them and hit their shield, then with the wet of the shield, it had more chance of going out. It hardly ever penetrated, but at least it didn't set it in fire. But if they hadn't oiled it and wetted it, it probably would have set it in fire because it was wooden leather. And so it was a great defensive shield. And they could lock them together side by side. Or they could put them over their head. And sometimes if they were going against a rampart or, or some fortress, what they would do is they would form a square and lock them all together in a square shape and hold them over their heads too. And they would go along like a turtle going along, completely shielded. So if the arrows come down, they were shielded. When Paul saw those, Paul saw those shields, he says that's like a shield of faith that they have. And when those fiery darts come, when those fiery darts come, he said, you put up the shield of faith to quench them. All kinds of fiery darts come against us, don't they? All kinds of wrong thoughts and wrong ideas and wrong stuff that comes into our heart and mind. He says, get the shield of faith up and stop that. Get it quenched before it takes effect. You know, the shield of faith did not stop the attack's coming. You read the life of the Apostle Paul. He went through a lot of stuff, didn't he? I mean, the devil really got on his case, didn't he? I mean, he was whipped. He was beaten. He was flogged. He was shipwrecked. He starved. He, he was rejected by men. He was deserted by friends. He was betrayed. Everything happened to that man. It didn't stop any of those things happening to him. But what it stopped was, it stopped the effect that it could have had on him. He says, none of these things moved me. Why? Because of the shield of faith. It didn't let those fiery darts get in his spirit. It didn't stop, didn't prevent the attacks, but it stopped the effect of the attack. And that's what it's designed to do. We're never going to go through life without attacks, without stuff happening. But the shield of faith stops the effect of it. It's the effect of it the devil wants to get into your life. To discourage you. To make you want to quit and to give up and to give in and to give over. That's what the fiery darts do. And so, we have mighty weapons that God has given us. And then there is, of course, and we'll finish with this, there is, of course, the very powerful name of Jesus. In Philippians 2, 9 and 11, it says, Therefore God has highly exalted him, Jesus, and given him a name which is above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God of God the Father. Isn't it a powerful thought to think that one day, one day in eternity, 
that every knee that there has ever been on this earth, of every man and woman that has ever walked this earth, will bow to the name of Jesus. And every person in heaven and in hell will bow their knee to the name of Jesus. And every demonic spirit and the devil and the Antichrist and the false prophet and all their hordes will all bow to the name of Jesus. What a day that's going to be. And they will have no option. They will bow because he's King of kings and he's Lord of lords. In Acts chapter 3, we're almost through. It says, Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. A certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, Look on us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. And Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and his ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And you know how that that story spread like wildfire. Verse 11, Now as a lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Why do you look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness we made this man to walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murder to be granted to you and killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. And then, of course, they became arrested because of all of that. And in verse 7 of chapter 4, it says, And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and rulers of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to help this man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is a stone which the rejected by the builders, by you builders, which has become a chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. 
And if you go on down, they tried to forbid them to speak in the name of Jesus. It says, verse 17, But so that it spreads no further among the people, that it severely threatened them, that from now on they speak no to no man in this name. So when they called them and commanded them not to speak at all or to teach in his name, in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For you cannot but speak the things which you have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. For this man was over 40 years old, whom this miracle of healing had been performed. And then it goes on down and say, 29, Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. There can be no doubt, sure there can't, that those early disciples knew and understood the power that was simply in the name of Jesus. Somehow, we have lost that. Somehow, somehow we have lost. And I say we, I mean most Christians in the Western world. We have lost that simplicity that is in the name of Jesus. Those disciples understood very well and they understood the power that was in it. It wasn't just a kind of a talisman. It wasn't just an abracadabra thing. It wasn't just something they just spouted. it. They understood that Jesus was working with them. And they spoke his name that he would act. And boy, did he ever act. And you just read through the book of Acts and it's just one act after another. You see Christ working through men. Isn't it wonderful? So God has given us mighty, mighty weapons so that we don't have to be defeated, so that we can be victorious in this life. Are you a victor or are you a victim? How do you feel tonight? A victor or a victim? I hope that we go out tonight feeling that we're victors and that we're not going to be victims any longer in Jesus' name. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we just stop and we give you thanks tonight. Lord, we thank you that in this battle of life, Lord, help us to realize that you have already come and won the war. The war has already been won. It's been settled. The enemy is truly and forever defeated in Jesus' name. And so, Lord, as he comes against us with his wiles and his strategies, help us, Lord, to wear the armor of God. Lord, that we may withstand all of his tricks and all of his plans and purposes. That we may walk strong in Christ and that we may do exploits in the name of Jesus. Lord, forgive us for unbelief sometimes that we have. Help us to trust your name and trust your word and trust, Lord, your weapons that you've given us for they're mighty indeed through Christ who strengthens us. So we give you thanks in Jesus' name tonight. Amen.